Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Good morning, everybody. I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I am also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show, Instagram show, TikTok show, eventually YouTube show uh, where we archive it, where I use my three decades of experience as a master craftsperson and a paint business owner, a trades entrepreneur, to basically show you the life of what it's like to be one of me, one of you. And we're going to answer a bunch of questions here. So let me just make sure that we're broadcasting. Uh, so I don't mean to do a tech check every single time we do this, but we have such squirrely internet out here on my farm. I have to make sure that I'm not just shooting this out into the universe with no sound or a squirrely video or things like that. So just hold tight really quickly and let's All right here. Oh man, we're already seeing a whole bunch of people there. Yeah, we got it all going people. All right. This is going to be an awesome show here. Let me let me just share this to a to a couple of things now. Do, 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 do. Okay, man, you guys are rocking and rolling this morning already. So, um, okay, today's going to be an awesome show. We got a whole bunch of stuff to cover today. Um, so we're going to talk about goal tracking today. Uh, this seems simple, right? Like put a goal out and then follow it or do something with it. But it's actually there's a lot to it and. Um, one of the things that I believe business owners or master craftspeople or anybody uh, has to have in their job description is pattern detection. You need to put data together in order to start detecting patterns. And a really good leader detects humanistic patterns within your systems, changes them so that people can super perform. So, all right, everybody, we are going to do a little bit of housekeeping first here. Um, in the notes of this show, in the notes of this show, is a very important link. It's a link to the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association Business Accelerator. So this is not just for painters. It can be for any trades, any business. Jason Paris and I, last year, we created this thing. When we look at the industry, we see a vastly fragmented audience. We see 99% of all paint business owners are single owner operators. There's nothing written down. There's no standard operating procedures. They take home $43,000 a year and they go out of business in about a year to three years, give or take. That is heartbreaking to me. So I absolutely, absolutely want to change this industry. I can't do it alone though. Solving those three problems, the one person, the $43,000 a year, and the going out of business in one to three years can all be solved by going through the Business Accelerator. The Business Accelerator is a program. It's a learning management system. It's got quizzes. It's got a cohort of 10 to 15 people, virtual meetings, subject matter experts, where we throw you in a boot camp of what a professional business looks like and then connect you with the people who can help you actually run a professional business. If we truly want to do this, if we truly want to be professionals, we need to do this, okay? So remember, when I was at the PCA Expo, I stood up in front of 600 of my peers and I made a big ask because people have been coming to me <coughs> through this show 
and my emails and my DMs and in person and saying, Nick, I want to get involved with the PCA. I want to help out. I want to contribute. Here's what I'm going to tell you guys. You need to put your oxygen mask on first. What is your oxygen mask? It is running a professional business. So we're going to talk about goal setting. How do you hit your goals? But that is the tip of the pyramid of the things you need to do in order to run a professional business. Number one, if you don't have a job description, if you don't have a pay scale, if you don't have an employee handbook, if you don't job cost every single job, you might as well not even watch this show. You need to job cost every single job religiously in order to track the goals. Goal tracking is an aggregate of job costing. If you don't have a system for job costing of tracking material and labor and showing people what a good job versus a bad job is, you need to go back to that job costing show or the standards deliverable show and do it. But I'm telling you people, every single question that I get asked, what do you charge for X? How do you schedule? How do you find good people? Give me an ad that'll find good people. That is one thing of 13 things in an ecosystem of a professional business that need to be done. If you need more people and you think a job ad is the only thing standing between you and success, you are wrong. You need to do more than that. It's an ecosystem of things. If you don't have an employee handbook, a job description, uh, a pay scale based on data and not feelings, great. Get a job ad. Get a whole bunch of people in and your business will crumble because you're not set up to take them on. If you want to track your goals and you're not doing job costing or you or you don't have a system, a standard operating procedure for your employees to follow or even for yourself to follow, this is going to be a tough process. So, again, we think of business problems as I have a problem. Give me the solution. The solution is an unsatisfying answer of a holistic ecosystem of things you need to do. So business accelerator is exactly that is exactly that. So I just want to tell you guys. People come up to me all the time and say, Nick, how can I get involved? What, what can I do to contribute? Put your money where your mouth is. Get involved with the PCA, folks. This is my ask of you, personal ask. This show is free. It's been free for almost seven years. At the end of this show, you are going to be emailing me, and I'm going to give you my goal tracking template for free. In return, people always say, what can I do beyond that? Put your money where your mouth is. Join me in the PCA. Join me in the PCA Business Accelerator and actually do something to change your life and change your business for the better. My goal over the next two years as chairman of the board of the PCA is to influence the influencers. As far as I can tell, there's 330,000 painting companies out there in the U.S. I would like to touch about 3,300 of them. You people, the chosen few. There's 11,000 followers of Ask a Painter, Right. We get thousands and thousands of views in every one of these shows. We get just as many views as the influencers that I want to see on average in this show every week. So now my big ask, you guys want to be business owners? You want to change this industry? You want to be part of the cool kids club? You actually want to make a change? You want to be the next Brad Allison, business accelerator and PCA membership? Do it for me, folks. Personal ask from somebody who's been a servant leader for you for seven years on this Ask a Painter live show. This is my 30th year in the industry, 15 year of running my business. We're going on seven years of doing this. My personal ask to you is join me. Let's do this together. And beyond that, PCA membership is a basic. Business Accelerator is the next thing you can do for your business. Shore your business up, put your oxygen mask on first and then help another business. And then when you get yourself on solid ground, join me on a committee in the PCA and actively Take a stake every week in changing this industry. Join Chris Elliott, join Lauren Fink, join, join the Kuipers, join Brad Ellison. All these people are actively in committees that are doing things every week in order to change this industry 
and contribute. All these people will happen to be speakers at our PCA Expo too. So if you want to get involved, folks, I'm here for you. And let's do this together. But I'm not going to do this alone. This little show that I put out every week into the universe isn't going to do it alone. I need the influencers. I need my people who watch this. You are a self-selecting dog whistle to bunch of people that are going to be on the spear tip of changing this industry. But enough of that. Let's get into some fun stuff here. So, all right. More on that to follow. We can talk about the PCA Expo. We can talk about goal tracking. We can do a whole bunch of stuff today. I'm going to get rid of get rid of some of my stuff on screen and let's get down to the fun stuff. This is Mastering the Basics. Ask a Painter Live number 353. You guys ready to party? You guys ready to get down with some goal tracking here? All right, me too. This is going to be awesome. So let me wet the whistle here a little bit and then um, uh, we will get to it. It'll be a lot of fun, folks. Uh, also, um, questions. We can talk about goal tracking. If you guys want to talk about anything, any topic, any question, put it in here. Uh, and we will, uh, let me actually, you know what, let me see. We got a ton of people watching right now. Let me just go through, see if we got any questions. Oscar, good morning. Robert Galensky, how's it going? We email. So you're, you're, all your guys' names are becoming infinitely uh, familiar for me because we email a lot back and forth for the people here. Ryan Gill, how's it going, man, my good friend? Uh, Rick Mixell, how's it going? Yes, Rick Mixell, signing up for uh, uh, Accelerator today. Serious, I cannot thank you guys enough for this. I have poured my life into that thing. The Business Accelerator is a process that Jason Paris and I put our own businesses through in order to be where we are today. It will not disappoint. So thank you from the from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Benjamin Bryant, how's it going? All right. Oh, here we go. Uh, most important things we track in our scorecard. Boy, are we going to get deep into that there. All right, everybody, here we go. Heidi, welcome to your first live show. Love this. Uh, I know we've been emailing back and forth a little bit. Glad to have you aboard. And uh, I love it when new people find this stuff and get energized. Ah, uh, yes. Jesse, Ellison Painting, my beautiful Ellison Painting hat. If anybody ever comes by my farm here in Minnesota, you will see me walking around only in other uh, painting businesses, clothing and merch. Uh, my, my friends in the industry are very kind to me and my whole wardrobe is basically other painters stuff. So it's really cool. <clears throat> All right. Travis Miller. I went through the business accelerator. It's an amazing course and I highly recommend. It's awesome. Absolutely love it. Chris Mole, my friend, we just scheduled some turkey hunting here, uh, for me and the boys. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, folks, let's get into mastering the basics goal tracking. So obviously we're going to go through some data plus feelings. And like I said, running this business is hard enough. Practicing the craft at the highest levels like we do is hard enough. Uh, a lot of the times, 99% uh, of our industry runs their businesses off of feelings alone. And that is a tough way to do it. So what we're going to do is show you the most simple way of, um, uh, of, doing, of overlaying some data uh, to those feelings. So now, you guys tell me if any of this sounds familiar. This is one of the most beautiful pieces of data that, that snaps my life into focus ever. Have you ever had to make a difficult decision? Have you ever had to make a decision to start a business, end a business, hire somebody, fire somebody, uh, do something, to not do something? We all do these mental gymnastics, these up and downs, and there's actually a psychological graph and piece of data that describes that. 
It's called the transition curve. So think about every major decision you've ever made in your life. You start off with uninformed optimism. You're stupid and you're happy on the, on the uh, left side of this curve right here. And you're riding this curve high. We're going to start a painting business. It's going to be great. I see other people doing it. Let's do it. And you ride this high until you start getting some data. So you're stupid and happy when you start. Now you have informed pessimism. Informed means <coughs> you now have some baseline data. So all of a sudden you're smart because you have the data, but it starts making you a little sad because you realize you may not be doing everything you have to. So you start riding the transition curve down into a low spot. And typically this occurs after three to five employees, somewhere in there. When you have, have exhausted all of your friends and family as hires and people that share your core values and people come on easy and it's fun and you actually have to go outside of your peer groups to hire people and maybe people don't share your core values. Maybe they don't work as hard as you. Now all of a sudden you have this crisis of meaning. Nothing makes sense. Wait a second. I thought this was supposed to be fun. I thought we were supposed to make a ton of money. My friends and family do this great. Why can't everybody else? Two options for you right there. You can either use that data and make some informed decisions and ride it back up, smart and happy, informed optimism, or you crash and burn. That crash and burn is the one to three years in the painting industry. It used to be easy. It used to be fun. We have crazy optimism. We start getting some data back, not working so great. And painting businesses typically in one to three years crash or burn, or they go back up. Micah Stelter, my good friend watching right now who just popped on, he knows about the transition curve as well. In their offices, I've seen this posted on their walls about micro decisions, macro decisions, things like that. You are going to ride this wave over years or decades or sometimes even hours and minutes, give or that, but give or take. But just know that the mental gymnastics, the ups and downs, the roller coasters you have, everybody does it all the time. And it's actually called the transition curve. This is what we're looking for, folks. You have highs and lows during the year. You have feelings. And the goal of goal tracking is to overlay some data to it so you can actually say, well, listen, my feeling is we're doing great. Are we actually doing great? It's always good to marry those two things, data and feelings, to actually see how you're doing. The worst thing we can do as a business owner is be doing poorly and feeling great about it. I would make the argument that most of our industry uh, is doing fairly poorly and feeling great about it. Um, especially when you hear I'm the most expensive, I'm the greatest painter that ever lived and I'm booked out a year and a half. Typically you'll find a big Delta between the money they're making and the actual success of the business or the feelings they have about running a successful business and the actual money. Typically when you hear those three things, I'm the best, nobody's more expensive than me and I'm booked out years ago. Those are all years into the future. Those are feelings-based arguments. They can't actually prove it. And typically they're making $43,000 a year and they'll be out of business in a year and a half. So we're trying to do some goal tracking so that we can, we can ballast uh, those feelings. But I should say before we move on, this is a graph of one of the years of my business of revenue generation and revenue per hour. These are one of the eight things that I do with my business to track certain patterns like this. Revenue per hour is not the end all be all, but this is a weekly accounting for what my business does as a whole. This is not per job, right? This is not per person. This is weekly. What does my company do? When you start aggregating things from the micro to the macro, the job, the week, um, you know, the month, the quarter, the year, you start to see different patterns than you do in just the job. And it's very important that we pull our heads back sometimes and take a look. So this is a this is an interesting one. Um, I love the year of 2019 because I've never done more crazy experiments with the humans in my company. 
<clears throat> oh, good morning, everybody. Ah, TikTok's firing up today too here. So here's how I do this. Now we can see a monstrous drop in revenue generation in 2019. This has come about late January, February, give or take. And I saw that and I got it in time to where we could say, we need to make a crazy improvement uh, in this business. We need to do something to write that ship. So one thing I did was introduce my project plans, which is by 8 a.m. every day, every single painter in my company needs to post a plan for the project, not only for the day, but till the end of the project. And we need to plan that for 10% under. And what you see there is I wanted my craftspeople to take ownership of what it's actually going to take to get this job done. And I want them to have a little bit of future thinking and think of not exactly what's in front of their face, but think out in the future as well, too. So when we track this data and we see a huge dip, a pit in the data, we can actually catch it week by week and start doing things and then tracking our experiments. <coughs> Sorry, folks, I'm still uh, I'm still ailing. We got lots of stuff going on here. You can also do some short-term visioning and planning as well, too. So this doesn't have to just be reactive. This doesn't have to just take data from the past. You can take that data from that past, look at it, but then you can also project it into the future. So here's one of the sniff tests that I do every quarter, every year with my business, which is we lay out the amount of humans, the past production rates, the potential amount of hours they're going to do. And you can actually look into the future and say, if we perform exactly like we did in the past day, week, month, year, quarter, whatever... What does that look like into the future? And what happens when we add some subs, add some other W-2s and things like that, apprentices versus craftspeople? So I actually do sniff tests out into the future. And this is how we start setting goals, not only for the company, but for estimators, for project managers, for coordinators and painters, things like that. So we have to, we have to understand um, painters and, and folks, listen, time to get spicy. But remember, I'm one of you right? I've been a master craftsperson for 25 years and a business owner for five or six or seven, give or take. All right. A real business owner for five or six or seven, even though I've owned my business for 15. I come to you as one of you, a painter first and somebody who had to jackboot themselves into learning how to run a business. Here's the deal. We don't use any of the right terminology, right? We're talking about profit. We're talking about gross profit, net profit, uh, margin, things like this. Most painters have no idea what they're talking about. It's not because you're a bad person. It's just that we were not taught to do this sort of thing. So here's what you need to know. Types of accounting, the data and the feelings. External accounting, it would be like bookkeeping and tax accounting. All right. Bookkeeping will give you a pretty good snapshot of what your business is doing, but it still sprinkles in some tax accounting. So here's what I don't want you to do. Goal tracking is not waiting for your monthly P&L from your bookkeeper and then deciding we're doing great or doing poor. There is external accounting and internal accounting. External accounting, that bookkeeping is fine, right? It's one of the data points that I use for my business, but it's got a whole bunch of other crap, uh, interest expense, depreciation, uh, EBITDA, earnings before interest, depreciation, tax, you know, all that other good stuff. There is the most beautiful form of accounting, which I love the most, which is internal accounting. Typically it's called managerial accounting. One of my college degrees is actually in this. I love this form of managerial accounting. This would be job costing. This would be weekly, monthly, and quarterly goal tracking. What this is not going to take into account is a whole bunch of depreciation, uh, interest expense, um, uh, income from investments, things like that. Internal, excuse me, internal accounting, managerial accounting takes into account your job performance, the people in it, and sometimes even the overhead to give you something that's not tax accounting so you can see how your business is, is running. 
You can also set benchmarks. You can also set metrics to follow. If you just wait for your accountant during tax season to tell you how you're doing, you will fail. Tax accounting is really, really disconnected from the performance of a business. The goal of tax accounting is to hide income for the most part, right? And you have deductions and you have all this other stuff. It is not a pure form of like, hey, if, if my taxes, if I owe a lot of taxes, my business is good. If I don't, it's bad. It's just another way of accounting, but for the government to see how much taxes you made. Managerial accounting, internal accounting is a way for you to figure out internally, are you doing the things you need to do so that you make a bunch of money so that you have the privilege of paying a bunch of taxes and the privilege of trying to minimize that tax burden at the end of the year. That's how we think about it. <coughs> All right, so goal tracking. Think of goal tracking. This sheet, which I'm going to give you at the end of this show, this is a very simplified version of taking all of your job costing per week and putting it into one aggregate thing to see a snapshot, a sniff test. Last week, when you put all the pieces together, all the human, all the paint, all the weather, all the vans, everything else, how did we perform as a company? We are still talking about variable expense and not fixed expense, though. You have to understand what, what job costing and my goal tracking does not take into account is overhead, okay? It does not take into account overhead. And people always say, well, then how, how do you charge for something to make sure you have overhead? Completely different show. That's my estimating show. That's another one down the road. The thing is, though, when you go back to this past slide, you see this green and blue template here. That's my job costing template that most of you have. That every line on there, every blue section or green section is one job. What you want to do is now take all that job costing and assign it to the week and say, now, how do we perform as a company per week? Now, why do we do this? Why can't you just use the, the job costing? Because job costing sometimes doesn't take into account everything. When you aggregate data into larger and larger chunks, you're finding patterns or you're finding where things are not being accounted for. You cannot job cost three jobs and decide, well, my company is world-class, we're doing better. Those are just micro snapshots of, of how each one of those jobs do. You need to back up a little bit and start aggregating it to see um, how your company's doing. The biggest thing that this will show you is, well, we got you know seven crews in my company, W2 crews, full-timers right now. Let's just say five of them are performing insanely well and two aren't. You're going to see that whole number be pulled down by those two crews. When you might say, well, we just had one or two jobs that didn't go well last week out of seven, not a big deal, but here's the deal. Now you can actually see the effect of one or two bad crews on your entire company. So you might say, well, listen, we need a 45% gross profit for the week. You might be running at about a 30 because five crews perform above standard, two below standard, and they will actually drag the entire company down. And you need to know what effect that is on the company. You can't just say, well, two out of seven, that's not bad. That's a pretty good ratio. You don't know how much they affect you until you do goal tracking. <coughs> now, um, the template on this page right here is a weekly goal tracker. Now the fun stuff gets uh, starts happening. So you can see the little graph in the corner here. If you take 52 versions of this, and then link them all together in one big spreadsheet like this, you can actually turn out a graph like this. And it'll tell you then, it'll chart you by week. And you can start seeing by my conditional formatting, what are what are we hitting? What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Uh, things like that. So this is just the next level of then, okay, 
We're taking a job cost, uh, which is uh, how did that project do? We're taking a weekly goal tracker and saying, of all the things we did last week, how do we do that week? Now you can clump it week by week. And now you can choose how about month? How about quarter? How about just these separate things? How about half year? Things like that. And start tracking data for patterns. All right. So let's go through this uh, goal tracking template here. Man, good morning, everybody. We got a pile, a pile of people watching on Instagram uh, and TikTok here. I will say you guys are missing out on the full experience because I'm doing a full screen share and showing exactly what we do with this goal tracking template on Facebook, um, as well as I will be sending you guys uh, this goal tracking template uh, for no charge. Again, uh, I will ask you to look into the PCA and the business accelerator in return though. So, okay. Step number one, we got to put our projects in here. So, <coughs> man, I apologize for the cough today, everybody. So here's the deal. We need to take all the projects that you did last week and put them in this column and assign a revenue number to them. Biggest question everybody had was, but Nick, but Nick, I did not finish that project. We didn't start it in that week. We didn't finish it in that week. How the heck am I supposed to account for it? If you have the reporting that I do, um, the project planning and then the 3 p.m. updates that we do where crews have to give us percentages done on projects, how many hours used and budgets. At the end of a week, if a project isn't done, you as the owner should have a great idea of what percentage of the budget was used on that job and what percentage of the job was done. And you can actually assign revenue to that job. So if it's a $10,000 job and it's 75% done at the start of the week, you need to assign $7,500 to that job. My two project managers do this and it's great labor. So I set up a template for you guys based on W2 employees. So you can see there's a painter name there. There's days of the week. Um, what, what we do, I set this up to match my uh, time punch in, punch out stuff. So I actually make a report in time station. I download that. I copy and paste and put it into here. And it gives all my painters the hour they worked every day to the 10th of an hour, their rate, and it aggregates all of that. And then it'll spit it up to the labor part here. Now, you can do this with um, uh, subcontractors as well, too. All you do is put the subcontractor name in over here. And you don't have to list their hours unless you pay by the hour. And then you go back over here and just list the revenue amount that you paid them. Oh, dude, Aaron Steining here, dude. You are the most hilarious person on earth. So... Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a great inside joke with an escapator. I was varnishing a door and some dude got on there and uh, put in the live stream, F your door. Uh, that is Aaron Steininger's favorite thing ever. So every time we fire up a broadcast here, uh, he picks something to say F your blank on. And today it's F your goals. And I love that. That's a beautiful inside joke between us. So I don't want people to think that Aaron's getting spicy with us on Ascapainer. So put in your labor there and it'll start aggregating. Now we do materials as well too. So what we do is uh, weekly invoices. We compile all the invoices from all our favorite suppliers and we put them here to try to start tracking materials for each of these jobs as well too. Then actually, you know what? I might have to move my, move my big head here. Uh, hold on a second. And we'll do it. What the heck? My, my face is kind of covering this stuff, but you guys get the idea. <coughs> so now we enter in payroll here too. So to get revenue per hour, we can look at the amount of hours worked up here, uh, reported, and then it, it computes with uh, revenue. But remember, just like in job costing, there's a thing called burden. 
Uh, it's typically 25% of labor uh, or wages uh, that gets put in there as a cost of employing people. And so this, you actually take your weekly payroll. We pay weekly, so we get a weekly payroll report. And you get in here and actually put in all the items to start tracking your burden. So people always ask me, like, how do you track your burden? I have actually set it up here where uh, you look at my payroll reports, you enter in all those numbers, and it'll tell you based on which things we use to calculate burden, what percentage and what number that burden is there. So uh, yeah, that'll that'll be helpful for payroll too, because again, just the hours reported and the wages from up above from this section here isn't going to give you an accurate um, uh, portrayal of what it actually is, because payroll will take into account if you do health insurance, if you do... Um, 401k, if you do retirement, anything like that, uh, it'll all be in there uh, with you. Okay, and then leadership team stuff. So if you happen to have a leadership team, um, basically what you can do is enter in for all the people down there. Uh, for here, I put slots for coordinators, estimators, project managers, and owner as well. Uh, put in your actual wages from payroll too, because we wanna separate out up above when we track labor. We don't want leadership team and labor. That leadership team is an overhead cost. So what this does, it'll actually take your payroll numbers, minus out your leadership team numbers, and then compute it up there for labor. And then here's our KPIs. So remember, this is this is our conditionally formatted items up above that'll show green or red, depending on how we're doing. Uh, this is a quick sniff test of all the um, all the items that you're uh, you know tracking during the week. Robert Galensky, is all of this in the business accelerator? Yes. If you like mastering the basics, if you like this series, uh, business accelerator was based on this. This is based on business accelerator. All of these things are in there except learning management system, cohort of peers. Subject matter experts like me pop in to hold you accountable. And there's a, a group guide as well, too. So get in there, folks. I'm telling you, these classes fill up quick and we're only doing so many a year. So I would get in there uh, quickly if I were you. So now here's here's how I set up these benchmarks. And you can change these benchmarks based on uh, the size of your business or what do you want to do. But basically, we're looking for 15% or less materials, 40% or less labor. That will give us a goal gross profit of about 45%. And I just put in a couple benchmarks for project management and sales in here too. These aren't necessarily something that you're going to need or you live and die by, but it's good to start tracking. If you have project managers or estimators, you need to start tracking a benchmark for them to see what percentage of our revenue actually goes to these people uh, like that. And I just put that at 5%, but you guys can change that. There's great arguments to change that um, anywhere between 5 8%, give or take, but it's got to fit the goals of your business. So here's basically what we're looking for. This is the highest, best use of something like this. <coughs> I have two master's classes based on apprenticeship and what the heck you do with uh, people when you finally get them in your business. I would drive myself crazy if I didn't have data to overlay everything. So what I did, we'll take, uh, this is a snapshot of 2019 when I was still learning uh, what to do, how to be a leader, how to lead people, how to get people into the business. And we did the most massive amount of human experiments we've ever done. And I actually show you in this slide, this is how I use goal tracking to the highest, best use. We can track revenue per hour. And one thing we can track, we can track gross profit as well. But every one of these colored lines in here is a test that I did in my company. And I tracked the effects on the financials of my company, the managerial accounting based on that to see if my actual experiments are doing well. So one thing you're going to find on here is 
when you cut dead weight, when you cut people that don't share your core values, I have seven data points in the history of this company where our revenue and profitability goes up the next week. It has never gone down. We are seven and all. It never goes down. We actually have less people and generate more revenue and more profit when we cut dead weight from this company. That is a pure, clean data point. Also, what it tracks is when you see a downtick in your managerial accounting or your goal tracking, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. When you see the hires on here, you see hire two people, hire one person here, it drops. Your production drops and everything drops because you're taking people on. They're not producing like your other people, and it's a burden to your company. But it is, is, it is an investment in your company as well, too. So just when you see a downturn, it doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's a trackable data point to see what is the effect of taking two people on at once, one people on at once uh, to the production of the company. And now here's another interesting year, right? You take a look at 2020. Um, very, very interesting data from that year because you see two big troughs in my data there. Number one is when COVID came on the scene and we all thought the world was going to be burning down, things like that. You can see that um, uh, there were people who did not want to work and they didn't work. And there were a bunch of people who shared our core values and decided to stay on and work. So what you saw was what you saw was um, our total revenue production go down, but the profitability skyrocket because only our killers were left working during that time. The second trough in there is when we were legally just shut down for two weeks because of COVID exposure. So then obviously there's no production that goes way down, things like that. But data plus feelings. So we'll get to some questions here, folks. Oh, man, a whole bunch of people watching here. I am so grateful for you guys. Uh, also, at the end of this show, I will show you guys or I will give you this template as well, too. Let's see what we got on IG. Man, good morning, everybody. Love to see all the familiar faces on here. What a wonderful day here on, uh, on old IG. Absolutely love this. And TikTok too, man, we got, yeah, we got people following on TikTok too. Love this stuff. So, all right, folks, here's the deal. Uh, get all your questions ready here. Um, uh, we will answer any of them. And it can be about goal tracking. It can be not. I'm going to take a sip of coffee and then I'm, I'm going to actually walk you through some goal tracking template stuff to see if we can do some experiments here too. So, all right. I like that you're not completely focused on someone's pace because pace can increase and you're cutting talent that don't meet or agree on your core values. Yeah, um, Decola, that's so interesting. Let me parse this out for a second here. So part of that is you got to have, I, I consider people to fall into three tiers of performance in my company. A uh, level of performance that will get you a raise, a level of performance that will get you to keep your job, and give you an opportunity for a raise maybe next time and a level of performance that will uh, basically say you can't be part of our company. Like you're dragging other people down. You're not doing the things you need to do. So you need to be tracking people on those three things, right? Because the one thing that I see people not apply data to and have feelings only is, listen, I got four crews out in the field. One crew is a dud. They don't share my core values. They're not painting very well. But you know what? 75% of my crews are killing it. That's fine. We can always have one dud crew. You, This is a simple math problem that I go through in my master's classes where you can lose two-thirds of all the profit, of all the money you can make in a business with one dud crew based on a simple math problem. So you got to be very, very careful here. you got to be very, very careful 
it's the it's the one bad crew hypothesis, which is we can always have one bad crew. You cannot have always one bad crew. It'll drag down everybody, not only culturally, uh, but uh, but financially as well too. So, um, okay, Angie Moore, how's it going? I need this desperately. Thank you for doing this. So I don't have to create the wheel. Absolutely. Listen, people have given me a hand up and I'm here to do the same for you guys. And we're all in this together. So Steph Young, how's it going, Steph Young? One of my favorite people in the industry, an absolute killer. Are all of your Excel sheets connected with conditional formatting before you start the year so that you automate as much as you can, requiring as little manual entry as possible? We recently did this utilizing Monday.com to cut down on uh, the admin hours and the entry piece, but just curious how many admin hours it takes to keep this up. So here's the deal, Steph. There is no way for a piece of software or an app or any of my stuff to automatically put these numbers in. These numbers have to be generated by humans. They need to be they need to be gathered by humans and they need to be put in here by humans. So far, so far. <coughs> Even with custom pieces of software, it still needs inputs. Let's say, sorry guys, I'm dying here. Let's just say you made a custom piece of software that went to Sherwin-Williams. It scrubbed all your invoices. It logged in, scrubbed your invoices, and put them in there. Let's say it did the same thing with Benjamin Moore. Let's say it went to TimeStation or QuickBooks or you know whatever timekeeping app, and it automatically logged in, scrubbed everybody for hours, aggregated reports, put it in here. Let's say it even went to your job costing sheets and scrubbed all that data and things like that. Let's say it went to Slack and it scrubbed all the updates and it picked out those jobs for the week and did that. That is an infinitely complex piece of software. The problem is, even if it did all that, you would have to check it and hold it accountable. You cannot just write an algorithm like that that's infinitely complex and, and roll the dice and let it ride like that. You still need to hold that process accountable. And at that point, it would take you probably as much time to hold that system accountable as it would for a human or a group of humans to each parse it out and enter those things in there. So people, we have this dream of pure automation where we stand back and our, our businesses live and breathe and it automatically gathers the data it needs, automatically puts it in a thing that we can use and it's always trustworthy. And I, I say this not because you don't know that stuff, but because it is a pipe dream that we need to give up. Uh, there's going to need to be a certain amount of human inputs and there's going to need to be a ton of human accountability no matter what system we have. So, all right. Heidi, uh, soon after hiring, how soon after hiring someone should you be able to tell if they share your core values? Oh my Lord, you should be able to tell this hopefully before they come on. Um, there are a bunch of canary in the coal mine sides um, that people may not share your core values. Now, these are not perfect, right? But um, typically what I find patterns in humans is just missing work. I mean, there's, there's people who sign up for a new job and call in sick the first day. Now I understand things happen, right? But overall, when you look at all the data points in my company from people who have missed time on their first day or their first week, uh, they typically don't have a great track record in my company, not because of that thing. It's because it's a telltale sign that they typically will then lack in other areas as well, too. Um, one of the one of the things. Yeah. So nobody's perfect and I'm not either. You should be you should try to tell before they come in. Um, one of the ways you can do that during an interview question is two things. They should have a lot of questions for you. 
I am amazed by the amount of people in interviews where um, I, I describe a little bit of the company. I try to sell our value proposition. I ask them questions. I, I do their referrals. I, I background check them, things like that. And then at the end of it, I, I ask them a whole bunch of questions about, you know, their past experience and things like that. And then I always say, you know what, now's your time. Just pound me with questions. What questions do you have? And honestly, 75% of the people I interview don't ask me one question. Even how much does this job pay? which is wild. So that shows you how little they're interested in this actual job. So again, not perfect, but that's a good sign. Nate Mitchell, how's it going, my friend? Uh, Mike, uh, is there one place you can access uh, all the templates you've been using? Yes. So if people email me, nick at nickslavic.com, which my email address will be in the show notes, I've actually aggregated all of this into one sheet of paper that I call steps to professionalization. And it goes through the eight things that we do. Mastering the basics every year starts off with step one, goes to step eight. I think we're on step seven right now, goal tracking. And there are hyperlinks to the Ask a Painter shows like this in there. And on every one of those hyperlinks, I tell you what resource I'm going to give you and give you my email address. So you can work through methodically in that and get all those things. Adam Rowe Painting, how's it going, man? Good to see you. We had an awesome time together down in New Mexico here. Uh, I struggle with applying data to defining the performance of a project manager. Do you have a hard goal setting data for that position? Yes. Adam Rowe. God dang it. I love this question. Uh, also, spending time with you and your wife, our dinner there the last night. Amazing time. Love you guys. I'm so glad you guys are involved with the PCA and doing this with us. <coughs> okay. This is one of the pieces of data, Adam, that I've been shoring up. I feel it's probably 85, 90% where I need it to be, but it's one of the last things I had to quantify uh, in my business because we always had a muddy data set. So what I like to do right now, we're at about a $3 million level with the business. My basic hypothesis is we kind of have like, you know, uh, uh, an estimator should be able to sell and produce 1.5 million of good gross profit work. So we have two estimators, Hopefully they can get produced 1.5 for the year. We have two project managers. Hopefully they can produce 1.5 during the year. I know they're capable of more, but all humans are. And I just want to find that level of what is a what is low performance, what is keep your job performance, and what is get a raise performance in that metric right there. Um, and I think 1.5 for estimators and for project managers is that middle ground of like, good, that's the over and under. If they fall below, we need to pers uh, performance plan them and get them up to speed. If they go above that, now they're in bonusable territory like that. Well, they, they're in bonusable territory at 1.5. Um, but I want to coach my team uh, higher than that. Now, we have to be careful when talking about, uh, especially with estimators, there is a industry standard way of calculating how much they sell but then there's also the number of how much do they actually get produced. And this to me is a huge delta. It can be anywhere between 20 and 40% from the number we assign that estimator Andy sold this, but during a year, he only gets this much produced. I don't like the big change in that or the delta in that. The problem is all painting companies, as far as I can tell, subscribe by the same sales reporting thing where, okay, uh, let's say Andy does a $10,000 estimate and that person says yes. Well, the scope really hasn't been defined yet. Typically, when a person says yes, they say, well, we're, we're interested in having some work done. What's the next steps? Andy will then report that as a $10,000 sale, and then he will kick it over to a project manager. And the project manager, you know, they have the three big questions at the start. 
Do you have a tentative timeline or, or you know, non-negotiable timeline? Do you have colors? And what is the scope of your project? And typically what we find is over under 20 to 30% drop in scope there. So then what happens is Andy reports a $10,000 sale, but in the end, he probably only gets a $7,500 job produced. Now, yes, we could go back to Andy's sales number and do this, but that is a wildly crazy process like that. And also the industry doesn't report it like that. I mean, uh, Mike is on here too. He's a world-class sales manager. He's the vice president of sales for multiple companies. And when I talk to him, as far as my understanding goes, there's a, there's a way we report sales. It's usually a pretty big number. What that salesperson actually has produced is usually something a little bit less. Now, it could be 1%. It can be 40%. It just depends in the company how that process works. So Adam, Adam in a long way around, is saying, res repaint, $7,000 AJS. Uh, we're going to do about 600 jobs, six to 700 jobs this year. And um, typically, we will have a project manager control at that AJS about 300 plus jobs a year um, for a total production of, let's just call it, you know, <coughs> 1.5 over and under. That's what we want in res repaint. Um, you, since you guys are commercial, that's going to be higher. Uh, Matt and Maggie Kuiper have, uh, of Harpeth Painting, they have a, a different sort of metric for their guys. Same with Onnit Painting, Chris Elliott. That number goes, the j number of jobs in under control or produced goes down, but the AJS goes up on that. And uh, what I find in commercial project managers, they want to manage at least 2 million. Res repaint, we want about 1.5. So hope that answers your question, but thank you for everything, Adam. Steph Young, totally get it. We definitely have plenty of human hours to do this. Just moreover, we try to enter the information once and then check the data. Absolutely. So Steph, if I had to guess, there's probably about four hours, of, no, four to six hours a week uh, of human um, uh, intervention of entering this stuff, checking it, things like that. So, but we divide it among probably four people, give or take. So it's not a heavy lift for anybody. And my, my capacity is mainly accountability. So, all right. Allegiant painting. Uh, thanks, Nick. Get rid of that cough by next week. Yeah. We'll see you guys. Oh my Lord. Uh, I'm going to Chicago this next week, midweek. Uh, supposedly the, the people uh, from Sherwin-Williams Chicago tell me this is the biggest, best pro show in the country. I am going to see if their money is where their mouth is. Uh, but so far, my classes are at capacity and uh, there's a waiting list. So that is a great sign. That is a great, great sign. Um, after that, folks, you're not going to believe this. Um, midweek, I think Wednesday is the pro show in Chicago. I'd love to see you all there. Um, Saturday, Sunday of next week, I'm flying to Abu Dhabi. Um, more to follow. Uh, it's going to be a wild time. You're going to see some familiar faces. I'm going to be doing something pretty innovative and uh, it's going to be a pretty wild time here. So... Okay, Don Mendez, how do you solve a problem with good worker people but not productive? So I would challenge your um, I would challenge your assumption that they that good worker people are productive. Somebody, there's a baseline of what we should expect in our businesses. You should be a decent human being, you should share our core values, and you should be coachable up to our standards. If you hit the standards in my company, great. We're going to supercharge you. If you don't hit the standards, we're going to give you some coaching. If you don't respond to that coaching, you need to leave because you are going to create a culture problem in my company. Give me, hold on right there. You'll create a culture problem in my company. You think, well, listen, we have some people who are bad apples. We have some people who don't produce. Guess what? Your high performers will take notice of that and they will start saying, why aren't you protecting me? You have standards for me. Why do I, you're dragging me down with these people. So as a, as a boss, you need 
and a leader of people, you need to be protective of your gold team, of your high performers, of the people who share your core values at the deepest, deepest part of their bodies. You need to break yourself for them, but you also need to weed out the other ones very quickly because it can take a huge culture hit. And you can think you're doing the decent human being thing by giving them a whole bunch of performance plans, coaching, mentoring, pull them aside and saying, come on, let's just do this together. The longer they stay in your company, when they don't respond to coaching and they don't share your core values and they don't do a good job of painting, you will drastically hurt your company and the morale and the culture of your company here. So Heidi, I'll be at the pro show. Love that. Uh, Steve Lockwood, I'm on the Chicago waiting list. So as far as I understand, folks, here's the deal this may get me into a little bit of trouble. If you show up, I bet we can find you a seat. If you show up, tell them Nick sent you and we will find you a seat because these are in ballrooms. These are in big meeting rooms. You can't tell me that that there's not a standing room area in the back. All right. Also, I know that the pro show is kind of an open thing. As far as I know, I don't want to speak for Sherwin on this thing, but in the past, you know, we've had anywhere between 400 and 1500 people show up at pro shows I bet you, you can just show up and we will find a way to do this. And, uh, you know, if you, if you show up and they try to turn you away, tell them you're my personal assistant. You're going to be clicking the slides for me and we'll get you guys in. I really want to, uh, I really, really, really want to spend some time with you guys. Let's do this folks. I've never had a place that turned people away when it actually came down to it. Now that may get me in trouble, but there will be people who don't show up as well, too. If I know painters, 20% of the people who signed up are not going to show up that day because we need to get a job done and things like that. So, all right, keep going with some um, uh, uh, questions here, and then we'll go through the job costing temp, or excuse me, the goal tracking template. All right, Heidi, thank you so much. All right, how many times should you allow someone to be late before you let them go? Oh, man, this is... <coughs> In my company's employee handbook, see, here's this is the importance of the business accelerator and mastering the basics and everything I do, because if this isn't written down, if it's not part of your employee contract, if it's not part of your employee manual and they haven't read and signed off on it, they can be late as much as you want if there's no standard. Uh, I have written in my employee manual, if you're late three times, we can deduct 50 cents an hour from your wages. This is uh, semi-controversial. I don't like doing this. And typically we fire somebody before it even gets to this, but it gets blessed by a lawyer twice a year. And it's uh, it's legal by the state of Minnesota employment law. Uh, I've only had to do it once. And then I shortly fired the person after because humans are disgustingly consistent uh, to be hyperbolic. Um, people who are late are always late. And I've noticed that people who are early are always early. Here's the thing that you need to do. To me, it's not the amount of times late. It's if they respond to coaching. If you want somebody to be a crew leader, it is not acceptable for them to be late. That is a bad standard to set. If the person who's in charge of you is always late and not for a good reason, that is a problem. That is one of those cultural problems that'll seep in and be just like this abscess in your company that will lead to bad morale. So I would say um, everything you need to do, whether it's counseling statements or personal improvement plans, personal performance plans needs to be in writing. So if you have somebody that's late, I would have an employee handbook that says what happens with your late policy, what's acceptable, what's not. I would have a job description that tells them what, what your hours are and when they have to be there. And if they're late, I would write a one-page counseling statement or performance plan saying, these are the dates that you were late. This is not acceptable. We're going to give you a period of two weeks. If you're late within those two periods, you may lose your job based on our employee manual. 
you need to respond to this. If you have more occurrence of this in this time period, this is going to be your consequence, something like that. But it needs to be in writing and it needs to be signed by them as well, too. Nick, do you use, uh, Jesse, painter skills test when interviewing uh, onboarding uh, craftspeople? No, uh, we're going to, though. Uh, we are going to be instituting uh, a very strict uh, trial period now. Um, that'll probably be quarter two, quarter three this year, where anybody who comes to me with experience, you're basically going to come here on a subcontractor basis, do a week or two of work. And at the end of that, we're going to have raise, keep your job, not with us. One of those things. And we're going to track them based on data. So uh, yeah, that's, that's what's coming next for us. All right. Adam Rowe, we enjoyed our time with you as well. Take some vitamin C and zinc. Great advice with the PM role. Uh, this is our first Ask a Painter. Man, I love that, guys. I love that. <clears throat> and for anybody who doesn't know Adam and Risa, uh, leaders, servant leaders in our industry, been involved with the PCA a lot longer than I have. And every time we have a PCA Expo, they win awards for their projects, which I absolutely love. So, all right. Good, because I plan on driving up. Steve Lockwood, awesome. We will see you there. Ah, da, 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 da. Love it. So um, also, if anybody wants to see me in Chicago, uh, talk. it's a Sherwin-Williams Pro Show. So talk to your Sherwin-Williams person and get them in there and uh, especially ask for my master's classes. So interesting thing about this one, the Pro Show is like maybe 10 to 5, give or take. I actually have my first master's class of the day starting at about eight. So before the pro show even starts, we're going to gather a whole bunch of people in one of those huge conference rooms. We're going to go over, uh, we're doing two master's classes that day. One will be estimating, one will be uh, apprenticeship hiring and things like we're just talking about. So um, it's going to bookend the day. So hang out, enjoy the day. And you know what? I'm going to be uh, marching around, uh, glad-handing, meeting people all day. And there's going to be some big shots uh, from Sherwin-Williams as well uh, that are going to be there presenting some topics. There's going to be a great uh, Spanish-speaking uh, painter initiative, uh, sort of a master's class midday. And in fact, Sherwin-Williams has asked me, if I wanted a Spanish speaking uh, interpreter there as well to ask and answer questions during the thing. And I said, hell yes. So uh, I believe we're actually going to have a Spanish translator uh, to answer any questions uh, with me during the master's classes as well, too. So it's going to be absolutely wild. Um, I'm going to be publishing a list of my upcoming pro shows, uh, master's classes, events around the country. We are heavily populating them. I'm going about one a week from here on out. It's going to be an absolute blast. So, all right. Let's get to an actual example of the goal tracking sheet. All right, so let's go to, all right, so you can see here, I have the sheet, it's blown up a little bit. So this is, I just entered in a bunch of data uh, from this sort of thing, just to show you guys how this works. We have our jobs here. For me, it always starts with the jobs that we put in, um, just to get a baseline revenue. It will aggregate down here. It will also put it up here. And you can also put your goal right here. So let's say our goal is 50K a week. We did 51.8 for this particular week. We did 104% of our goal. Good, right? Then what we're going to do is we're going to put in our payroll information here. Again, it doesn't have to be uh, payroll W-2s. You can put in your subs. You can just put the name of the subs and the amount of labor as a dollar amount over here. It'll still all aggregate. It'll aggregate down here. It'll also populate how many hours. If you don't pay subs by hour, that's fine. Not a big deal. But this will also go a long way into calculating revenue per hour, give or take. Then we want to take your payroll information here, total aggregate payroll. And you can see uh, this is a conditionally formatted thing. It'll bump all these numbers up here. Now, what I did for you from the job costing sheet, people always say, well, how do you calculate burden? In Minnesota, this is how I calculate burden. 
You can see these cells right here. The only thing I don't put in federal income tax and state income tax because those are uh, things paid by the actual employee as well too. Now we pay a portion of it, right? We pay a portion of it, but these are numbers that they actually pay themselves. So now again, I am not, uh, I, I have a minor degree when I went to college in tax accounting, but only enough to know that I need to hire a tax accountant. So again, you can have all these checked. I would run these by a CPA just to see if you're calculating burden correctly and all that stuff. But typically I've always found burden to be about 25%. And this is actually where the rubber hits the road. You can track this. When I came up with my 25% burden number, I tracked this for two years and it never deviated more than 1% plus or minus 25%, give or take. Then if you have a leadership team, you can put this here. Now, remember, if you are the owner of the company and you spend your time painting and running the company, you need to separate your time between running the company and then your hours painting up above. You need to account for your time. That's the biggest mistake in our industry that people don't do that. Then down here, we have materials. So again, you can see that you can take a look at the materials right here. We just basically list our suppliers here. And I even put lifts and miscellaneous stuff right there. And then that will aggregate up to the top again. So benchmarks right here. Um, like I said, I included PM and sales. I put that at 5%, but again, you can, based on the needs of your company, and you can make great arguments that those should be higher or lower, uh, give or take percentage of revenue. But there, there's your, there's your tracking of labor right there. We want 40% or less. There's our materials. We want 15% or less. So this tells you like, listen, we spent nine grand last week in materials. That's almost 18%. That's way too high. But if our labor performs really well, <coughs> our labor was only 34.4%. So the aggregate of that is actually 47.7% GP and our goal is 45. So to me, this would be a win for the week if our, if our goal is 45% GP. Obviously, we want that material to come down. This could be a function. This is where we get into pattern detection. You can say, oh my God, my labor did very well. My materials did crappy. Now you ask the question, why? Was everything the same? but we just spent a bunch more in materials, wasted materials, misordered? Or did we actually do a bunch of exterior stucco houses where the percentage of materials is way higher on those than it is for a cabinet job, right? With a cabinet job, you're going to use a couple gallons of primer. You're going to use a couple gallons of enamel, and it's going to be spread out over 50 to 60 hours. With an exterior stucco project, you might use 80 gallons of Loxon spread out over 40 hours. So as a percentage, it doesn't mean the job is bad. It just means for certain jobs, your material might be higher. Uh, typically, what you'll then find on like a stucco job, if the material percentage is higher, your labor rate then must go down. If you're still doing huge amount of labor and huge amount of materials, two things need to happen. You need to be a better painter or you need to charge more for those jobs. But in, in total, this is how we kind of think about, um, you know, this this goal tracking sheet. And, I, and like I said, I will send this to you guys. I will send this to you guys as needed. So let's get rid of this. And let's see what we got for questions here again, too. I'm going to wet the whistle again. Man. Okay. Uh, somebody asking on Instagram, when I come, when am I coming to California? I actually have a master's class booked with my beautiful friends at Surf Prep. I think that's in September. More to follow on that. I will, um, I will give you a list of everywhere that I'm going to be shortly. I actually see some of that family there, the Feria family on there. Um, 
All right, what else we got on Facebook? And then I think we'll call it a day here, folks. Um, when am I coming to Michigan? Uh, good question. Um, I think we have one in the works <coughs> for the next couple months. Uh, one thing on my to-do list, I promise you guys that within the next week or two, I will publish a list of all my upcoming uh, classes. The thing, uh, it, it's not that I don't want to publish them. It's that uh, typically in quarter one, mid-quarter one, which we just passed, all the companies reach out to me, all the events reach out to me, and we uh, the event venues, and we start talking about them. And as we as we aggregate them, as we start confirming them, then they start showing up on my calendar. They will also be on the PCA website much sooner than they'll show up anywhere here. So if you guys uh, want to see me or anybody else, uh, we have a Spanish-speaking uh, person who travels around and does master's classes. We have Corey Leister, uh, an amazing cabinet refinisher and business owner who does it too. It's not just me. There's tons of them. You can actually go to the PCA's website and see where all these events are throughout the country. Uh, Anthony Bartomioli, when am I coming to Arizona? I don't have anything in the works for Arizona, but here's what we can do. If you guys want a master's class in your area, you can contact your favorite paint rep, you can contact me, or you can contact the PCA and say, I want a master's class with Nick Slavic in my area. And then as soon as you do that, you start a machine running. And then we try to coordinate that for you to find a venue, to find an underwriter, to find food, drinks, and everything else. And then I show up uh, with all my experience and we, and we do some knowledge sharing. So, all right, folks, uh, let's see here. Okay, Richmond, Virginia, please, again, Raise your hand. I will go anywhere. It's a collaborative effort between your paint rep. We usually get somebody to underwrite it uh, to, to give us the money for the event. We do it through the PCA and we do it through me. So honestly, contact me, contact the PCA, contact your paint rep, get it started. Um, all right, folks, right now, everybody watching, we've got tons of people watching Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, hit share right now. Just stop what you're doing, hit share, share it to your feed, share it to your story, share it to one of your painting groups, Share it right now. We absolutely love when you share this because it gets more people like this uh, watching our show. Phil Klein, Iowa. Iowa has been on my list for a long time. Uh, you need some more people down there in Iowa, Phil. Uh, you're, I think you're going to have to be flying up to Minnesota to see my master's classes. But I, I will absolutely come down and do, do a master's class for you sometime. Maybe this is the year where I just come down and hang out and you and I can just hang out instead of doing a master's class. So I know you're always good about coming to Minnesota. So, um, okay. Uh, kindest thing you can do for me. Again, I get tons of people coming up to me saying, Nick, how do I get involved? I want to do better. I want to professionalize my business. Well, folks, put your money where your mouth is and get involved with the PCA. Be a member, join the business accelerator. There's a link for that in this thing here. Jason Paris and I have poured our lives into this. The PCA has facilitated this. The exact process that we use to professionalize our businesses and bring ourselves to where we are now is contained in that course. If you ever wanted to know the answers to how do you schedule? What do you charge for X? How do you find good people? How do you rate good people? How do you track goals? Every single one of them is in that business accelerator. That business accelerator will literally change the industry if you guys go through it. We will likely never touch all 330,000 painting companies in the U.S., and that's fine. I hope to someday. But in the next two to four years, when I'm at the helm of this PCA thing, when I'm the chairman of the board, we are going to influence the influencers. And guess what? Whether you guys like it or not, 
you are the influencers. You are a self-selected bunch of people who have chosen to spend a freaking Saturday morning with me. You could be sleeping. You could be hanging out with your family. Instead, you're watching some dope from Minnesota go through spreadsheets with you about your business. That's how much you love this. So put your money where your mouth is. Put your actions where your mouth is. Don't just say you want to get involved. Don't just say you want to have a professional business. For me, a personal promise to me, join that business accelerator. Actually do something to change your business. I want you guys to have a good rest of the weekend and email me after and I will send you these templates. We are not going to change this industry on our own. We need you guys. Personal promise to me. Get involved. We're all doing this together. Have a good weekend, everybody. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.